All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. It's very hard for your cells to struggle when the terrain is so healthy. Here's your genes. Here's who you are. Now, based on your habits, you can decide how good or bad this is. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 191 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. My name is Renee, tuning in from Las Vegas. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Renee. This is Lauren. I'm in Maryland today. Yay. Yay, sunny Maryland. Looks beautiful. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for pop quiz of the day? Oh my gosh. I forgot we were doing this. I guess. Hence the name pop quiz. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So not to totally give away today's episode so quickly, but here I go. Uh, What is the most interesting gene from your genetic report, like for things that you can change and impact your health? I don't remember the specific gene, but there was like a cluster of genes related to dopamine that explained why I have my resting face, especially as a child. Yeah, that is pretty hilarious. I feel redeemed because my whole life, it's like as a kid, I looked like I wasn't having fun at the amusement parks or at parties. And I was like, I swear I'm having fun. I just, my face looks like this. And I don't know, my my level of enjoyment is just... I suppose on in another realm, but I've always been told that I look like I wasn't having fun. And what he said about dopamine, which everyone will hear in the episode, I was like, yes, <laughs> all Yay. is well in the world. 
It is. It's almost like your uh, horoscope or something. You feel like, yes. Oh, yeah. When you're flipping through the magazine, you're like, yep, that's me. I'm understood. <laughs> yeah. What was my, what did you say? I was the queen of something? Glutathione. Glutathione, Glutathione queen. queen. Yeah. So would that be your favorite genetic snip? I don't know about favorite. I guess that was definitely pretty interesting. I, I'm still, it's hard to pick a favorite really. I think the BDNF is pretty cool because I've always been attracted to like the sauna and exercise and lion's mane, you know, things that naturally boost that. So I think it's like intuitively, but my body knows I need those things. Yeah. That's interesting. And then just that I metabolize things so slow. I mean, that's not news. Like I'll have a cup of coffee at 2 p.m. And then at 10 p.m. I'm laying in bed like wide awake. I'm like, why did it take so long? (laughs) Yeah. So So I guess to take the next step forward and explain to the audience, we're talking about genetics today. We have Kashi from DNA Company. And I have to say I'm I'm a little bit of a convert for genetics after this interview. I've been a little skeptical about genetics because I think a lot of the reports out there, one or not practical. They don't give you practical advice. And my complaint has always been that they're not cross-referencing with blood chemistry to see if things are actually expressing. But what I learned today is that DNA company is really doing a pretty comprehensive job and that they can map out exactly how things are going to be expressed. Of course, we have to put the, the filter of environment over it because it could be, if you do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, this will happen. But even just mapping out estrogen metabolism all the way through the pathway and really kind of predicting mood and behaviors and how we function in in the world, there was just so much that resonated with me. And I do think it is so important to check blood chemistry. I mean, you need to make sure if you have a a snip in your vitamin D pathway, and I mean, this is important for anyone to check, you want to make sure you're like taking the right amount because supplements have such generalized dose recommendations on the back. So it is important to do the labs to make sure that if you do start supplementing that you're taking the right amount because it's still going to be a little bit of a, an experiment and, and guesswork up front. But I'm very impressed, very impressed with the pathways and and all of the information that he had on us before even meeting us. <laughs> yeah, Because we met he- very briefly last year at the biohacking conference, but he got on, he was like, I know exactly who you are. I know how you run your business. I, I know how I you talk to people. Wedding a little bit. It's <laughs> like I know what you did last summer. You're like, wait, what? No, yeah. Oh God, <laughs> watched. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, like the DNA. Like he said, it's it's the blueprint. And the cool thing about DNA testing is you only have to do it once. Like your DNA mm-hmm. is not changing. So I think you do that one time, and then that's when you do the other lab testing. Hopefully, every six months, just checking in, like what is happening in real time. Is that matching my genetics? Am I do I need to turn different genes on or off based off of what I'm seeing? And I will also just give a shout out to the DNA company for the privacy of your DNA. You know, there's been a lot of issues, especially with like 23andMe. They're selling your reports. I unfortunately, I think we both did 23andMe like a decade ago because we didn't know about the concerns around the privacy. So if you're really new to this, definitely use a company that's not selling your data. Like Absolutely. And so I, I really appreciate what they're doing with that. Yeah. And then they were also kind enough to give us a discount. So dnacompany.com slash biohackerbabes, that'll get you 10% off. So really, really appreciate that. Yes. And one other thing, I think it is important to work with one of their clinicians because my experience of going through my reports, I felt a little stuck and confused and I I had a hard time sorting through it. I still think it's it is presented very well, but 
you can just go so many more levels deep. And I experienced that today with Kashif. I was like, oh my gosh, how, like what? <laughs> there's just such a deeper level of understanding. So I think there's a lot of value in working with someone that has looked at these reports time and time again, or has been with the company. As he says, they've, they've looked at 7,000 different people. So they really know this stuff inside and out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Let me tell you a little bit more about him. So Kashif Khan is chief executive officer and founder of the DNA company where personalized medicine is being pioneered through unique insights into the human genome. With the largest study of its kind globally, the DNA company has developed a functional approach to genomic interpretation, overlaying environment, nutrition, and lifestyle on the genetic blueprint to create personalized and deterministic health outcomes. As Kashif dived into the field of functional genomics as the CEO of the DNA company, it was revealed that his neural wiring was actually genetically designed to be entrepreneurial. However, his genes also revealed a particular sensitivity to pollutants. This inspired the DNA company to develop a custom nutrient supplement to enhance the suboptimal detoxification pathway, enabling him his body to deal with pollutants and chemicals while reducing his risk of long-term illness. Now seeing his health from a new lens, Kashif dove further and started to see the genetic pathways that led to his own family's challenges and the opportunities to reverse chronic disease. He has since made it his mission to build the DNA company into a business that has an impact and whose success is measured not in dollars earned, but in lives improved. He really is on such an amazing mission. I mean, the second I met him at the biohacking conference, I was just like blown away by his energy and his knowledge. I mean, he's just so passionate about this. So I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you all today. Yes. Let's talk about some jeans, jeans, jeans. Is that your new song? Jeans, jeans, jeans. (laughs) Thank you for our jeans from our dad, who is Jean. And mom, Cindy. (laughs) All right, let's do it. All right. Welcome, Kashif, to the Biohacker Babes. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Good to see you guys. You too. Yeah, we were fortunate enough to meet at the biohacking conference back in the fall through our friend, Joel. Um, So shout out to Joel. Thanks for the introduction. Um, But we've been following the DNA company for a while now. So this is really, really an exciting episode for us. And Thanks to you, we got to try out the test in the fall, and we both have looked through our results. And today, we're going to get to hear maybe your opinion and some insight into our results, which you were saying before we hit record is really interesting because we're sisters and you don't get to see a lot of siblings. So um, so stay tuned to the second half of the episode. We're going to dive into that. But before we get into that, we're going to cover some basics. So if anyone's new to genetic testing, we want to make sure they really have an understanding of what we're looking at, who it's for, why we would want to do it. So to kick us off, why why should we do genetic testing? Like, what are we learning from this? So, um, first of all, there's like, what is genetics? Meaning that there's this perception of, I don't want to find out if Alzheimer's is coming. That's just going to give me anxiety for 30 years, right? And that that used to be true, that genetics was good luck, 80% chance of breast cancer, whatever, move on. So it wasn't actionable. So it now is actionable. So genetic testing now is, let's identify your red flags your priorities, what you need to focus on. And then all these things you're trying to do, all these choices you're trying to make, you can always go back to that human instruction manual and make the right choice is essentially what we're saying. No trial and error, no one size fits all. There's a lot of great stuff. You guys curate so much great stuff. What what do I know? How do I know what I need, right? So that's how we've rethought what genetics is. It's like, here's my human instruction manual. Here's how my body does all these little jobs that it has to do. 
and I know which job is not being done right, that's where I need to focus. And then everything gets better. Yeah. The instruction yeah, manual. <laughs> so interesting. I've had several friends that have been terrified to do genetic reports. They just, it's like, I would rather not know. I'd rather live in the dark, but I think there are so many actionable items, like you said. So when it comes to lifestyle factors, what do you see are kind of the biggest modifiable factors that someone could say, oh, okay, today I could start doing that and, you know, not completely throw my lifestyle upside down. Yeah. So it's like, here's your DNA. So foundationally, here's how your body works. And then those factors are environment, nutrition, and lifestyle, everything that fits in those buckets. And environment is probably the biggest sleeper that we don't pay attention to, which is causing the most problems today. Keep in mind that our DNA as it stands is 200,000 years old. So we aren't grandma and grandpa. We are, you know, like cavemen, truly, and cavewomen. So the reality of today's environment, the industrialization is what, 150 years old. Our current toxic food problem is maybe 50 years old. Uh, the threats that we're facing, we are not genetically designed for, even the best of us that have the won the genetic lottery, let's say, you know, um, and so those are the threats, nutrition, environment, lifestyle, then, you know, drilling into the nuances of what is the right and wrong choice for me, we can get into like crazy detail if you want. Yeah. Well, and I have to say in the bio, even in the biohacking space, there seems to be a little bit of debate over genetics, right? Is it really telling us what we need to know? Or is it such a small part of the equation? It doesn't matter. And I will tell you personally, my first exposure to this was about 10 years ago when I was doing the Bulletproof diet, right? Everyone was throwing butter and MCT oil in their coffee. And I felt like crap. I had brain fog. I was starting to get some belly fat. And I'm like, but no, Bulletproof is like the, the way to go. Everyone should be doing this, right? And I did my first genetic report back then. It turns out, so I'm AP, APOE 3-4. And then I think it was the FTO gene possibly that I don't metabolize fats well. Yeah. And once I reduced my saturated fat, it was like a game changer. So that was just one thing. So I personally am a big fan. I think it can be really helpful for a lot of people. So I'm just curious, like what, what is your response when you hear maybe biohackers say that, oh, we don't need to be looking at this? So we do hear that a lot, right? We've heard that some from some some, let's say very famous people that push keto, that we've shown them that they can't actually do keto. And it's the reason why they're still looking for answers elsewhere. Right. And the thing that they think is so great, because in science it makes sense. But the, the APOA2 gene is what metabolizes uh, fat into the glucose and the fuel that you need. Both of you guys, by the way, are doing horribly there, right? So both of you would struggle. So, and now in some ethnicities, that will actually trigger an insulin response, like just like eating sugar, you know, where medically we don't think that way. It's like, let, let me track my starches and my carbs and my sugars with my patch, but I'm not tracking my fats and that can actually trigger an insulin response. So yeah, just that personalization, like what is my red flag? What is my body not doing well? And if I know that, I remove that habit or I add some kind of supplement to support that biological function. And then I get to this homeostatic level where things are good, right? And you can do that with every job in your body. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's so fascinating. So I'm so curious to hear your perspective, looking at both of our reports, maybe side by side as sisters, because with APOE 3-4, which you said we're, we both have when we both are doing horribly, according to the genetics, I don't have the same response that Renee has to saturated fats, at least not yeah. subjectively. And also when I look at my blood chemistry, nothing is coming up to indicate that I wouldn't do well. I test glucose on a CGM. I feel great eating saturated fats. So what could be kind of the difference in the expression there or the phenotypic response that would change the genetics oh. from what is actually being expressed? This is where I think genetics 
was this broken tool in functional genomics is what we actually needed. Genetics was this gene means this, this gene means this, this gene means this. And even then, you're getting this propensity-based 80% chance of this because there's some other factor that we can't figure out that 20% of people still do okay. So what's going on? Because there's another system that may be supporting it. There's phenomenons like what's called epistasis, where one gene turns another gene off or vice versa. So with you guys, and I know, um, you know, we're, we're I'm going to sort of uh, move ahead a little bit and talk about your genes because that answers this question. Yeah, when it great. comes to uh, the glutathione or uh, detox pathway of the gut, you guys are somewhat opposite there. That's where you're a little different. And so, Lauren, whereas you have two full copies, mom and dad both gave you this really potent ability to metabolize and prevent toxins from entering your bloodstream through the gut. Uh, Renee's not doing so well there, right? She's actually missing. So either mom or dad decided not, you're not going to inherit that gene. And oh, they didn't darn. Yeah. And so it's, it's not only it's for you, for Renee, it's starting at the gut, right? So it's starting at this struggle, metabolizing anything that's not sort of light and easy. That's a threat. And fats typically are a little tougher, like starches and sugars are easy to get through, right? So it's starting at the gut. So we're not even getting to you know, there's already an inflammatory trigger before we even got to breaking this fat down at the gut level, but you're doing really well there. Now, the flip opposite is true. If you take that high quality uh, detox pathway you have in the gut, Lauren, uh, that again is in the context of our ancestors, right? What they were designed for. Put that in today's reality where the food is so toxic where you know everything is laced in something that even the packaging is seeping into your foods it leads to this autoimmune type response you're like wired too well for today's reality right mm. so it's a very different response so if you go out and i know you don't do this you eat very well but if you go out and decide to eat like the average american and go to disneyland and have your snacks all day you're going to end up with psoriasis and autoimmune conditions right because your gut is going to it's kind of like the cytokine storm in covid you're going to overdo the fight because the threat is so heavy Whereas Lauren's, uh, sorry, Renee is going to end up with more of an inflammatory issue because she can't detoxify the stuff. So it's causing this dysbiotic state in the gut. So that's where this one gene, completely different outcome from the same epigenetic input. Right? Mm. Yeah. So I'll share my diary confession. And I'm sure our audience will love to hear this. I was on a road trip recently with my fiance and we were in the South and he's from the South, loves Bojangles. And every now and then he's quite healthy now and loves eating that way. But he has you. Really, do you know what Bo Bojangles is? No, no, not familiar. No, I'm not. So really it's sure. kind of like a southern biscuit place. People go there for their biscuits. <laughs> they put chicken on them. You know, they do breakfast sandwiches, but they're known for their biscuits, and people cannot resist them in the south. And yeah. so when we pass the Bojangles, my fiance is like, oh. <laughs> and I always resist because I know that I feel like complete crap. But there, you know, there was just this one day, this instance, I felt. For my relationship, this actually may be a good emotional input for me to do this with him. So I chose to do it. Yeah. But like absolute dog poop. Yeah. So those saturated fats, the quality of them, it, it's just so clear to me that quality makes a difference and that we can yeah. choose good food inputs. And we just talked about this on the podcast yesterday, like macronutrient profile could be exactly the same, but sourcing and the quality. Exactly. Oh gosh, my gut. I, I, I felt like I had an autoimmune disease that day. For Yeah, and the biscuit, you know, oh. keep in mind that like so cheaper wheat, which is constantly manufactured, gets dried with chemicals so that it can be stored. And those chemicals are super potent toxins, 
right? And so your gut would trigger this autoimmune, like, what is this stuff you just put into me? This is not what I'm supposed to be handling, right? So, um, yeah, so it's it's not just the food. It's what, how is it processed? Even if it doesn't seem like processed food, it probably is the, the components oh, of it yeah. are. Yeah, not real mm. cheese. You know, the, I'm sure the meathead hormones, antibiotics, the wheat, as you said, chemical laden. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, yeah my immune yeah. system was like, <laughs> yeah. not okay. Yeah. 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 I don't feel like I tolerate that stuff either. I mean, you look at some people's diets or the standard American diet and like, if I ate that, I would be in bed. I would just feel like <laughs> death. Yeah. So to circle back, can we define functional genomics and then epigenetic expression? Sure. I think those are two terms that get thrown around that I think people probably need a 101 sure. on. So yeah. epigenetic expression is, um, we see it two ways. One is literal expression, meaning that your genes are constantly reacting to inputs. So stress, sleep, food, uh, environmental insults like pesticides, for example, our genes regulate biological function by speeding up or slowing down. And that is expression. The efficiency by which we do that is different for different some of us, and that's called methylation. So methylation is kind of turning those dials on expression. And you guys aren't doing so well there. We can talk about that. But so the ability to, to respond as appropriate for whatever's going on, our body's wired to do that. Some of us don't do it so well. Then there's epigenetics of here's my genes. Here's the cards I've been dealt. I do this job well. I don't do this job well. Now I need to be in this context to thrive. And the, uh, where that really plays a big role is in mood and behavior and mental health. So the same thing that could be, I have anxiety, I have depression, I have burnout could be, I'm an entrepreneur, I have a superpower, I'm highly detail-oriented, I see everything that people don't see. The same neurochemicals drive both of those, but the epigenetics of context, what what what, what are you doing with the superpower you've been given? Did you turn it into a crutch, for example, right? And we see this all the time where when we get into clinical programs with people, we always start with the brain. Doesn't matter what they're, even if it's like breast cancer, Alzheimer's, doesn't matter what they're talking about, we start with their mood and behavior and their executive function. Because if they don't understand how they perceive the world and how the world perceives them, they won't be able to fix that problem. You know, a lot of the healing comes from understanding how they perceive and think. So those are the two different parts of there's a literal expression. And then there's like the habits that you add that change how you the sort of tools you've been given are used, right? You're using them in the wrong context. Functional genomics is so first of all, genetics is this gene means this, this gene means this right? The study of what does each gene do? Functional genomics is how do you then interpret that in the context of the biology we already understand? The body isn't a bunch of independent genes doing independent jobs. There's systems and pathways that we already, we already know. We know the hormone cascade. We know dopamine isn't just dopamine. You have to make it, you have to bind it, you have to clear it. You know, so there's a, there's a process we go through. So if you don't understand the full process, you stay in this probability you got an 80% chance of this 40% versus the certainty of if you go have these habits you're getting this if you go have these habits you're not getting this because you're not born with Alzheimer's and breast cancer and diabetes and these are things we develop from poor choices so knowing what the choices are the epigenetic factors comes from functionally understanding how these genes actually operate like reverse engineering the biological pathway and knowing where you need to intervene Right? It's a chain. Which which link is weak? Let's focus there. As opposed to this gene means this. That's not going to drive much. Mm -hmm. 
And at what point do you bring in blood chemistry to kind of cross-reference to confirm or double check that these things are actually expressing? Because I thought it was interesting. I'm so excited to hear your perspective on my reports. Some things yeah. I was like, oh, that just totally doesn't resonate. I know it doesn't come up. I don't feel that. But I, I still think it's important to look at. So what are like the kind of confirmation factors that something really does need our attention, either through food, supplementation, behavioral change? Yes, we spent, so this was a big part of what we believe we had to fix, right? So when we started this journey, it was like, we already know what all these genes mean because it's all been published and understood, but it hasn't been clinically actionable. Doctors, even, even functional medicine doctors were underwhelmed and disappointed. So we set up a clinic and we spent three years studying 7,000 patients, one by one by one by one. And that's how we learned all of what we know where if I have your DNA, I know your personality to a T. I don't need, need to talk to you because we know what the genes mean. We also know that here's the habit that allows you to overcome that genetic legacy if it's a problem or may push you down the path of that problem being more severe. So we learned that by working with these 7,000 people to understand um, why did the same sort of Alzheimer's profile not trigger a problem in this problem person? Why did this person get breast cancer at 25 when typically it happens in menopause? Like what were they doing right or wrong? So um, you are doing a lot of stuff right. You know, <laughs> you're not the average person. And so there's certain things that are easier for you to overcome uh, because you, your, your choices are probably beyond what it takes to just be at homeostasis and, and healthy and managing that genetic legacy, right? You're probably doing even more. Really, everything is rooted in inflammation. We already know that, right? There's either inflammation or fibrosis. Inflammation is the bigger one. 14 of the top 15 killers in the US are inflammation, you know, cardiovascular disease, cancers, et cetera. And so if you've managed that, it's very hard for your cells to struggle when they're so, and the, the terrain is so healthy, and, and they're flourishing, you don't feel the problems, even when it comes to neurochemical and behavior, because everything is so relieved of any inflammation and stress, but if, if you're living your lifestyle. Now, change your lifestyle and adopt average American habits, the things that we say are who you are, are going to exaggerate themselves. And they're going to be a, a, a more severe version of them because the habits are so poor. So this is where it's absolutely true. Here's your genes. Here's who you are. Now, based on your habits, you can decide how good or bad this is. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, we flipped the switch. I think yeah. That's really cool. yeah. Yeah. Curious, what are your thoughts on the latest headline of saying obesity is, I think it's like 80% genetics. If your parents are obese, you will be obese. Nutrition and uh, diet and exercise don't matter. What is your yeah. response to that headline? That is Well, like, the very want? next headline was Ozempic is now for sale, right? <laughs> Yep. So no coincidence. Money, money and profit. Yeah. So it's absolutely absurd. So the the here's the problem. And this is the genetics says that that's true. Right? Here's genes that point to obesity. It's absolutely true. What's wrong is saying that there's nothing you can do in your lifestyle or environment choices to augment that. So there's a gene called FTO that prevents you from experiencing satiety in your gut. And if you're challenged there, then you're going to overeat every single day. And you are genetically wired for that. But all you have to do is plate your food and understand what a plate looks like, right? And maybe drink a glass of water after your meal and fill yourself up. There's a gene called MC4R that determines satiety of the palate. So satisfaction. Some people get full, but they're not satisfied. And then they go graze at the pantry. Give me my Doritos. Give me my cookies because I need that wow factor. 
that's actually a it's an actually it's a survival mechanism of our ancestors to seek out variety. They don't get satisfied until they've had the salty, the soupy, the crunchy. And that's why you take a sip of Thai food and there's that wow factor because it's sensorial. It has everything. It's salty. It's soupy. It has a crunchy noodles. It has everything. Right. So um, the hack for that is simple. You need to provide the satiety. You have your meal. Now have not dark chocolate, grape, cheese, like every little bit of everything. And then you won't need to overeat. So those are two small examples. But there then there's hormones right? What is your dominance? Are you more estrogen dominant? Yes, you're likely to store more fat. You're genetically prone to being not obese, but storing more fat. We know what to do about that. There's supplements you can take. There's exercises you can do. You know, there's plenty that can be done. So it's it. you cannot argue the science with a scientist that there are genes that drive obesity, right? But they're absolutely wrong that you can't do anything about it. And the only answer is to take a pill because you have this thing. No, you don't. Right. Why are obesity rates from uh, I think it was uh, 1970s? It was like 40 percent. And now we're at 75 percent. We didn't genetically evolve in 30 years. Right. That takes millions of years. It's the, mm -hmm. the lifestyle and nutrition inputs that change. Nothing else. Right. Yeah. Right. I think the estrogen dominance piece, you really just slid something up in my brain. I, I hear this a lot. Clients will come to me and say that another doctor told them they were estrogen dominant. And maybe it was in their genetics or maybe it was based on symptoms. But then when I look at lab testing, that's not always the case. So at what point are you checking? Because if we just give a supplement based off of symptoms or genes that could potentially not be supporting the correct pathways. So how do you intervene and make yeah, sure so that that is the number one thing we need to be focusing on? I would say, so in those 7,000 people we worked on, we didn't know this was going to be the case. But what we found was the area that needed the most help and support was female hormone issues. It is completely ass backwards broken. And the female experience going to the doctor is like, hey, you're supposed to have problems with your hormones. This is this is how women live, right? It's complete bogus. So we spent a lot of time mapping out the hormone cascade. That actually wasn't done so well genetically. So a lot of what we do was already understood. We just interpreted functionally. But the hormone cascade wasn't actually done properly. So it was done... Uh, you know, per gene, but you can't really act on that. If you, you have to understand the full progesterone converts to testosterone, converts to estrogen. In that, there's different speeds at which you may do that. You may go into the DHT bucket. You may clear the androgen before converting into estrogen. You may be not making enough progesterone to begin with, so that initial pool isn't healthy. So in that, this very gray area, uh, we've made very black and white now. So, and that's the area where we, where we do actually do the most work is female hormone. So that cascade, there's individual genes that drive each step and we can very clearly predict what your hormones are going to look like because we know the genes that drive every single metabolic step, right? And then beyond the estrogen dominance, there's estrogen toxicity, which is almost more important. So if you are estrogen dominant, okay, step one. What if you also convert that estrogen into a toxic metabolite? There's three options, two hydroxy estrogen, four or 16. Two is nice, clean stuff. Four and 16 are potent toxins. 16 will cause breast cancer and ovarian cancer. You know, th there was news in CNN about two weeks ago saying uh, to prevent ovarian cancer, women should cut their fallopian tubes out, right? If they have the BRCA gene. And if you ask the clinicians that are recommending this, what does the BRCA gene do? They say, well, it's cancer risk. No, it's a tumor suppressor. It fixes cancer. 
everybody has cancer in the body. If you have the bad BRCA gene, you're just not doing a good job of fixing cancer. And now when you look at the hormone cascade, the truth is some women are estrogen dominant and estrogen toxic, and they're on a birth control pill for 10 years, fueling that estrogen, or they go on hormone replacement therapy, not knowing where to intervene. I'm not saying not to do it, but just know where to do it and how to do it. Or they don't understand the endocrine disruptors and everything that is fueling that estrogen. And then that toxic metabolite gets stored in fat. And where do women have fat? It's like hips and breasts and maybe a little bit back here, right? And that's the cause. It's not the BRCA gene that's supposed to, this is when BRCA is supposed to get to work and fix things. And that's where I think genetics is broken. So sorry, I went on my hormone rant, but that's what we believe. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I've seen women with the BRCA gene and they come and then we test their hormones and they're not actually expressing 16-OH or pushing, you know, 2-OH and their methylation is really good. But they're like, I have to take DIM. I have to take all these supplements. I'm like, well, that's not actually happening in your lab tests. And, and a lot of doctors are just giving these very generalized, especially if you Google estrogen dominance, everything tells you just take dim. And it's just, yeah. it's not good for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And then even in the, in the actual circadian rhythm of the, the cycle, there's a variability in the, those peaks and valleys. And there's some women that will take dim and they'll start getting migraines, you know, yeah. because their, their hormone levels, the swings, the Delta values are much bigger. So even personalizing that, is highly possible because if you understand how you're metabolizing, you can kind of map out what happens during that month and be a lot more precise. All right, my biohacker friends, you probably already know that Lauren and I are obsessed with everything when it comes to sleep optimization. We are always trying the latest and greatest biohacks and supplements to see what truly works. And when it comes to sleep, there could be a multitude of problems, right? Some people have a hard time falling asleep, staying asleep, maybe even waking up feeling unrefreshed. Does this happen to you all? Because certainly I have dealt with all of these factors. And you have probably heard us talk about Magnesium Breakthrough before on the show, which is by Bioptimizers, and how it's really great for sleep and promoting calmness and relaxation. But what we found out is that the brains behind Magnesium Breakthrough have taken it to the next level with a product specifically designed for sleep. It's called Sleep Breakthrough, and it's a total game changer in the space. Sleep Breakthrough is a delicious pre-bed drink that combines the power of magnesium with other natural ingredients like valerian root to help us fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up feeling refreshed. I personally notice that when I take it before bed, I don't wake up at all in the middle of the night, which is really nice because then I wake up feeling much better. You can also tune into our recent podcast with Matt Gallant from Bioptimizers, where he shares some of the science behind this new product if you're curious to dive in a little bit deeper. So, We highly recommend giving Sleep Breakthrough a try. You can visit sleepbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes to check it out. And not only do you get a discount when you use code biohackerbabes10, they are also throwing some amazing free gifts in with your purchase this month. That's why we always love shopping at Bioptimizers. We love the free stuff. So head over to sleepbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. Don't forget that discount code biohackerbabes10 and let us know what you think. Yeah. So are you a fan of Dutch testing or hormone testing? Or are you still saying that you can map this entire process just with the genetics? So any blood work is is like a measure in time. It's like, here's where you're at right now. And what we're saying is, here's your innate foundation. Here's if you take all the inputs away, here's who you are. Right? This is what you're going to do. And we can we already know we already know what the Dutch test result is going to be. Now, if the Dutch, Dutch test result is off for some reason and doesn't match your genetics, that means you've done something epigenetically. There's something you're doing that you're not aware of. 
Maybe you have a toxic mattress or maybe your cleaner is spraying something that you aren't aware of, right? That's where it allows us to investigate, like, where do we go? What do, what are we looking for? So the combination of the two makes that investigation really powerful because there's this gap between here's who you're supposed to be. And today you look like this. That's a problem. The only challenge with Dutch testing is when do you do it? So some clinicians don't understand when it like, because again, there's that circadian rhythm of the hormone cycle. So as long as you do it at the right time. Uh, and you understand the change, be, the delta value between who you are and where you're at, then you know what to action. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Dutch does recommend it between days 19 and 21. So as long as people are reading the instructions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even like blood testing, like Lauren and I were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago. I went to a doctor here in Vegas and they checked my hormones and didn't ask me what day it was. Yeah. And she's like, well, your progesterone's really low. And I'm like, well, it was this day, so that would make sense that it's low, it you know. Be, so, so that means we got it right. You know? Yeah, so maybe I shouldn't be supplementing with progesterone, right? No. But yeah, and, I mean, and so it has to be personalized, right? I think that's what you're really driving personalized. home. And for yeah. both of you, there's a unique nuance there, where both of you APOE three four, right? So when you get your blood work done, your default standing cholesterol level is a higher level. Because the way you, the you know, that transport of lipids just happens differently for you. And it's not a bad thing, right? What you have to look for is when there's a deviation, when it starts to go up from that baseline that is slightly higher for you, that's when you know inflammation is kicking in, right? Obviously, you guys are not likely to experience an inflammatory state based on your habits. But for that person that is APOE 3, 4, 4, 4, they're going to be told your cholesterol is high. Well, that's my baseline. That's where it's supposed to be. As long as it doesn't increase, I'm doing things right. Hmm. I wish right. I had labs from 15 years ago when I wasn't feeling good, which is what got me into all of this because now I eat well and I've never, since I started testing cholesterol, haven't seen that, but it would be, right. I don't want to do the experiment and go backwards. <laughs> yeah. Like I wish I had those results. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, cause my cholesterol is usually around like 205 okay. and you know, and some people would say, Oh, it's over 200. That's a problem. But maybe, yeah. So like, that's okay. But also my LDL tends to be a little higher than the normal, but are you saying that that's okay as long that's, as it's not increasing over time? Yeah, you you want to obviously you're monitoring it, but that's your norm, right? It's not a, mm -hmm. it's not a problem. It's not so. What is the the red flag for cholesterol? Is there's some kind of inflammation? Your cholesterol is going up to reduce that. It's like this Vaseline that smooths things out. So there's some disease about to onset if you don't look, and it's typically mm -hmm. cardiovascular disease. So you're just your baseline is higher. Is all we're saying. It's it's going to stay there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. What else do you see? I'm curious about the other kind of differences for us as sisters. Be just because so many people come and say it's in my family, of course I'm going to get it. So yeah, so I, being so, so similar, but not hormonally, you guys are literally identical. So I know you asked what's different, but I just thought this was really interesting. We're like literally identical, which is odd because you get genes from both your parents, but you happen to get the same copies, which speaks to you know body type, facial structure hair, skin, and what you're doing is the right amount of testosterone, so it's slightly slow conversion from progesterone to testosterone, which is what you want as a woman. The testosterone into estrogen is called medium fast, which is also what you want as a woman. You don't want too little or too much. Uh, so it's not quite estrogen dominance, it's more estrogen balanced, right? You're not efficiently converting into DHT, which means you know, you're not having the cystic acne and the hair loss problems, but you also... Um, need to work a little harder to see the six pack. The DHT kind of burns through the fat for you, right? Um, you clear the DHT efficiently. So that 
toxic uh, threat of DHT is in there also. So you have this kind of, both of you, this ideal hormone pathway and prototype for what a woman wants. There's also no estrogen toxicity, which is rare uh, and unique. Usually one of the two pathways is a little off. Uh, you're balanced there. Both of them have a very slow conversion. And you also have the slow conversion in the two hydroxy uh, pathway, which most clinicians interpret as problematic because you're not making the good stuff, but you are, you're just doing it slowly, which is actually highly protective because when you get into menopause, the two also becomes toxic. And clinicians that are telling women that, no, you have the two hydroxy fast pathway, you're doing well, you're not doing well because your body changes after menopause, right? And it becomes toxic. And this is why a lot of uh, hormonal diseases like ovarian cancer and breast cancer start at menopause, right? It, it, your body completely changes, hormones change, there's no clearance anymore, there's no menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. So hormonally, you guys are doing amazing, right? And you're great. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, and then typically, this is where all the female problems come from, by the way. So you're avoiding a lot of great stuff, or problem stuff, I should say, not great stuff. Okay. What's uh, interesting is mood and behavior, your guys' brains, right? So both of you, um, there's a little deviation, otherwise you're almost identical also. So your dopamine pathway, Lauren is a little quicker to clear her neuro neurochemicals, Otherwise, both of you bind dopamine at a very high level. So this density of receptors in your brain, very easy for you to experience the intensity of pleasure and the intensity of reward, which speaks to a couple things. To some people, they're going to call you guys flakes. They're you're like, you're not interested in anything because it's so easy to experience pleasure and reward. You just don't care about the stuff you don't care about. Right. This is amazing. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, go to a meeting, 10 action items. You might do two of them really well and the other eight never start, right? And, so and you, does yeah. this explain that when I was a child, I would sit on roller coasters or rides and all the kids were screaming and I just had deadpan face. I was having a yeah. great time. Yeah. So yes, because you're, first of all, uh, you're, it's, it's so easy for you to experience, right? That you're kind of always satisfied anyway. So there's no, that Delta Valley between there down here and like the wow factor takes a lot more for you. Right. You also clear your neurochemicals faster. So as they're in this moment, you're you're coming out of it while it's happening. It doesn't last long enough. Uh -huh. so for sure. It, it would lead to this like, I'm done with this. What's next? I'll, I experience it. I get it. It's fun, but I'm done, you know, and they're still in it. So whereas Renee would get stuck for a little longer, she's more of a let's call it a binger. Right. So when that pleasurable or reward seeking, so ultimately dopamine is satisfaction. It's both pleasure and reward. So I did something good at work, ate some tasty food, satisfied. It's either one of these. So uh, Renee is more likely to sort of binge and get stuck because her clearance is a little slower, right? Uh, hmm. Both of you have difficulty uh, binding emotional uh, sort of stimulus, which is not a bad thing. What it means is you're, call it more logical, more intellectual, uh, you're not going to hold the grudge. You're not going to, you know, I'm never talking to that person again. That's less likely to happen with you. Uh, forgive, and for, forgive and forget type of thing. Because when that trauma or that pain or that negative stimulus happens, you don't have the ability to imprint it and remember it and use that emotion in future decision making. Mm, that resonates yeah. a lot. Same yeah. a lot. Same. Yeah, and so, you know, on the trip with the boyfriend, he's lucky that that one day you decided to have the biscuit because you're probably not usually thinking emotionally, right? 
that empathy and sympathy is may not be there. Yes, it doesn't correct. mean you don't feel it. It's just not deep, right? It, you're uh -huh. not using it, using it as a tool. Yeah. Um, so again, each one of these things, I can spend an hour just talking about dopamine. I'm just giving you a high level, yeah. right? I, I'm curious just back to the, like the binging thing. Like how does that apply it to like a day-to-day -day activity? Like what, am I seeking certain things for that? So what it is, is uh, it's so easy for you to experience pleasure and reward that you're not constantly seeking it at all. You're kind of satisfied with what you're doing. So, hey, investment opportunity, new idea. I'm not interested, right? I'm mm -hmm. doing what I'm doing. But when you're doing what you're doing, the thing that actually gives you pleasure or reward, you get stuck. So mm -hmm. this okay. is where you can do eight, 10 hours of work and come back with this giant stack of outcome that like, how did you do that? Because you're doing what you enjoy, but put you in a room of stuff that you don't want. It never gets started. Yeah. Right. Yep. And you guys are doing what you want. And so that you're in the right place. And, th and this is where I said in the very beginning that mood and behavior context is key. Right. When it comes to executive function, how you're wired, the outcome is largely, largely based on context. If you're in the right place for what you're wired for, you're going to thrive and do amazing things. If you're in the wrong place, you'll, you, you would have used words like anxiety. By the way, you are genetically wired for anxiety, but you're probably not feeling it because you're doing what you want. How do you feel anxiety? Because it's so easy for you to feel pleasure and reward. When it's taken away, the delta value crash for you is much bigger because you're used to being up here. And you're not used to feeling this low level that some people are used to feeling. That's their norm. And so it's more of an acute anxiety response. I can't get out of bed today, right? When that good is taken away, everything's taken away from you. Whereas some people, it's a chronic everyday, like constant anxiousness. That's a very different profile. So even words like anxiety and depression can be broken down into more personalized versions of them and why they happen, right? Mm. Um, okay. The other place where you guys are doing exactly the same is serotonin. So your serotonin response is identical or slightly dysregulated. Then this affects a few things. So serotonin, we think of as like a mood chemical. So depression, anxiety, right? The actual mechanism of that is it allows your brain to prioritize stimulus. So whatever sound, smell, you know, please stop chewing your food like that. Please stop mm -hmm. making noise. That's you guys, by the way, right? That irritability, let's call it. Yeah, because your brain is challenged in prioritizing stimulus. So, so we're here, you know, somebody walks by the background of my thing and you guys are like, what just happened? Versus somebody else may not notice that because they're so zoned into what we're doing here, right? So your brain can prioritize the stimulus, which leads to this irritability. Everything bothers me. But why? Because you're seeing the world at a higher level of detail than your peers. So it also is an innate superpower. Again, context is key. In your work, when you guys are analyzing, studying a product, speaking to a person, going to an event or trade show, what you get back from that, other people didn't even realize was there. Hmm. You know, the level of detail you see things at, because every stimulus prompts you and pokes at you that you weren't supposed to notice. So it leads to this uh, deep analytical behavior, right? You both have this high level of dopamine focusing on what I want, uh, and you're seeing it at a high level of detail coming at it somewhat logically, not bringing the emotion into it. So it's this, call it analysis type behavior, really awesome skill to have if you're using it properly. Mm. And where this gets mm. even more interesting is your brain drive neurotropic factor uh, is off for both of you. And we don't, most people are doing well here. Both of you aren't. Uh, Renee's a little bit better. Uh, and what's going on is 
brain drive neurotropic factor speaks to neuroplasticity, your brain's ability to develop neural pathways. So there's no good or bad here. Bad BDNF doesn't mean bad. What it means is your skill isn't jack of all trades or Jill of all trades, I should say. It's subject matter expert. You know, I do really well in what I do and combine that with your binging activity and your high dopamine for both of you. That's even more true, right? I do this and I do it really well. Now ask me to go do this and I struggle and I fumble. But once I figure that thing out, I'm also going to do that better than everybody else, <laughs> right? So the yeah. tightly knit neural pathways, as opposed to many branches of like, you know, I box, I also play baseball, I also play basketball. I, no, it's like I figured out baseball. Now it's going to take me two years to figure out basketball, right? <laughs> but once I figure it out, yeah. I'm not going to miss a single shot. That sounds like yeah. me. I'm like, no way I'm playing ping pong. But you know what? Yeah. I had a couple hours. Yeah. I'll be different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in this, I mean, in mood, by the way, highly implicit also, you guys don't experience trauma, but you give things a lot of meaning. So when your BDNF is off, it's like more shell shock, let's call it, as opposed to PTSD. So bad news, good news, either way, there's a lot of weight and meaning to things. So lawyer's letter in the mail, everyone out of the room, I, I, I got to deal with this, right? As opposed to, oh, I'll deal with this at four o'clock after my meeting. Right. So there's meaning to stuff uh, that leads the brain to sort of brain to ruminate and think about, like, I shouldn't have said this. I should have shown up five minutes earlier. I screwed this up. Like, keep thinking, keep thinking until it's resolved. Uh, and that to people looks like somewhat of a drama queen response. Let's call it that. Like crying over spilt milk. I'm I could potentially slam the door and walk out of the room. I might say I quit. I'm not doing this anymore. Right. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm so curious about then how behavioral, uh, like good lifestyle behaviors play into that because we know we can upregulate BDNF through sauna, exercise, good sleep. I, I noticed yeah. that I am super reactive when I'm not doing all those things correctly, but when exactly. I am, I'm less reactive. So is that the modifiable factor there? Like if we're yes. really on our, on our game, then probably experiencing more BDNF and be, I guess, less of a drama queen. Does that make yes. sense? It's absolutely true. And these neurochemicals are the easiest thing to manage the expression of. It's instant. So on a day-to-day -day basis, you can be a different person. So me, I'm the opposite of you guys. I have very low dopamine expression and very fast clearance, which is what makes me entrepreneurial and seeking risk. You know, like I nothing's ever good enough. I want to do more and more and more. Mm -hmm. So I know when I go on vacation with a family, that doesn't work, right? I, I need to settle down and be present and not be thinking about work. So I'll do stuff like, you know, L-theanine and cold exposure to boost my dopamine levels and to feel normal, let's say, right? And same thing with you. Yes, sauna is a potent uh, BDNF upregulator. You know, Finland, uh, the Finnish population is probably has the highest per capita rate of bad BDNF, what you guys have, right? Yet they are rated the happiest country in the world. I just saw that yeah. the other day. Or I think they like historically have had that They're high rate. constantly rated the happiest country in the world. Yeah. Because culturally, they have more saunas per capita than any country in the world. It's part of their ah. culture. They do it every day. And then if they don't, they feel that's why they're happy. And they that's why they feel so bad when they don't do it. Because they go back to their default drama queen setting. Right? Ah. And they're like, I don't feel right. What did I do wrong? Oh, I didn't go to the sauna today. And it's culturally part of what they do. So this is where epigenetics, oh, understanding your innate genetics. Here's who I am. Here's the red flag. My red flag is BDNF. Here's how it affects my mood. I don't want to have problems with my relationships. I want to be able to work with people. 
I'm going to start using the sauna. I might take a whole food coffee extract. It's a supplement that boosts beating up, a high quality omega-3. I'm going to do some breathing in the evening. You know, we know what all those things are. And now you can feel the way you want to feel, right? But if you decide to write a book, you probably want that BDNF to drive you into subject matter expert and nobody bug me for the next month. That's so why I have to take mushrooms that. before I write. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. And that maybe yeah. that's why I love the sauna. I do it every other day and I'm obsessed. I love it. I feel so yeah. good. You would be. It would make you feel incredible. And you would truly feel the difference if you don't do it. Yes, I definitely do. And exercise too. Like yeah. I, I don't know how people don't exercise. I'm like a different person. If yep. I do or don't. <laughs> and here, well, here's that makes a, sense. Is that the link? I mean, we're like intrinsically link, yeah. motivated because we we feel that fluctuation so greatly. Yeah, you feel it the 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 definite sensorial, like I feel different. And if you look at um more genetic tests, you'll look up BDNF and it will tell you you are uh good at exercising, right? Or you're likely to be a, a an athlete but they don't understand functionally what it means. What they're saying is that, hey, 90% of people that have poor BDNF are athletes. This must be an athlete gene. No, what it is is when they don't exercise, they don't feel right. So they tend to exercise. Ah. Misunderstood what these things mean. That's why we needed to study these 7,000 people to be able to tell you what to do because it was all misunderstood. That makes a lot of sense. Interesting. So I do love talking about us, but I'm curious about <laughs> people that are not motivated. What's going on in their brains and why is it so hard for some person that says, I know, I know what I should be doing. I just can't get myself to do it. Yeah. So th there's a, there's different answers to that. One is context, right? So for, for example, you guys, uh, it would, it'd be hard to start because of your dopamine pathway, right? Something new. It's like, I'm not interested. Uh, there has to be that innate spark and you have to try it. So with with that, uh, it's and we've heard about like tiny habits and all these, uh, you know, how do you actually implement behavior change? And what's actually going on? There's these micro rewards. Typically, when somebody needs to change their life and become healthy, let's say, they're usually stuck in pleasure. And the pleasure, it's what's hard to let go of. It's the food, it's the TV, it's all this stuff is pleasure. It's very, dopamine is a required chemical that drives us forward as humans. This is why we do what we do because we are seeking satisfaction. So we progress. And so when you're stuck in pleasure, you don't need the reward because you're already getting satisfied. And this is where to get started, you need a micro reward. I need to re rewire your brain. And this is true for any genetic profile, by the way. You need to, it just some people can do it a lot faster, right? You need to rewire your brain to feel the dopamine hit from reward because you don't need both. You just need that central satisfaction, which comes from either. And you start doing more and more and more. And then you don't need the pleasure anymore. You're, it's, there's, there's no void of like, you remove this from me, right? So that's how we coach people through it. Micro, okay, you have poor BDNF. You should not be on blue light at night because your circadian rhythm, by the way, is also broken if your BDNF is off. And so you won't be able to sleep at night. So let's just start. Don't keep your laptop, keep your Netflix. Let's just start with your phone. One thing, let's set an alarm that 11 p.m. or whatever is the right time, it gets shut off, right? One micro reward. And then let's set another alarm next week that you actually put it downstairs in the basement so you're not even tempted to see it. Little rewards, little rewards. And then people get hooked on the rewards and they don't need the pleasure anymore. Mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and speaking of that, I find I'm really sensitive to blue light at night. Yeah, you would be. So BDNF yeah. highly, highly regulates circadian rhythm. And both of you guys suck there. So your clocks don't work. 
Right. <laughs> Yay, well, we suck. <laughs> and we we were just on vacation we're... together and we were saying like we both have to watch the blue light like an hour or two before bed, but then Lauren's fiance and my husband, they can be on their phones and just like fall yeah. asleep and get a 90 readiness score on the aura, you know. But I'm yeah. like, whew, I, I'm wide awake in bed if I have any blue light before bed. Yeah, and this is why. It's literally yeah. this is Thank you, Jeans. <laughs> it's funny because our dad's name is Gene. So yeah, like, we're always thanking Gene. Thanks, Gene. <laughs> For the good and the bad. Yeah. Uh, can you talk to us about methylation? Because it's just been put in such a spotlight these days. And I think yeah. it's I find most B vitamin supplements have just gone straight to the methylation and kind of skipped over these genetic pathways. And maybe people need different forms. Not everyone needs a methylation. So yeah. either talking through our needs or just globally about what do we need to know about methylation? So methylation uh, is misunderstood in terms of what we need to look at, first of all. Uh, it's not just MTHFR. My methyl my MTHFR is off. That's what you hear. That's the central character, let's say, of methylation. But there's an entire, again, functional, the entire cascade. How does the body actually work? It's not one gene. And so there's several genes upstream and downstream that complete the cascade. And if your MTHFR is off, you still don't know what to do because you have to look at every link in the chain and see where to intervene. So, so for example, there's a gene called FUT2, F-U-T2. And if that is off, which I think it is for you guys, by the way, then you don't absorb B12 in your gut. You actually need it sublingual under the tongue, right? Because you have an ancestry that just didn't eat beef. So they didn't develop the ability to absorb B12 in the gut. The B12 that comes from lamb and sheep is pre-methylated and you that's why grandma says chew your food because you actually absorb nutrients while you're chewing, right? There's MTR and MTRR, which are again up or downstream from MTHFR that didn't determine, do you need, like you said, different forms? Do you need methylcobalamin or do you need adenosyl B12? There's When you go buy B12 from the shelf, it's usually methylcobalamin. That's the, typically the standard. And for a lot of people, that doesn't work. The, oh, your, your methylation is off. We need to give you methylation vitamins. No, for some people, that's not what they actually need. They need adenosyl. Um, folate, you know, when your methylation is off, typically a functional medicine doctor will say you need some folate, you need some B-complex. Some people need folinic acid as opposed to folate or folic acid. SHMT1 is directly right next to MTHFR. So next step is SHMT1. And if that's off, it will determine whether you need folic acid or a folinic acid. And imagine a pregnant woman, the first thing you're told is go take some folic acid. What if that's not the right tool for you and you need folinic? Right. And what's going to happen to the behavioral development of that child? So, um, yeah, we can get very precise and just like the hormone cascade, map it from beginning to end and know exactly where to intervene so that you're fixing your personal problem, not a generalized MTHFR problem, which isn't enough of an answer. Yeah. Yeah. And what about other nutrient factors like zinc, magnesium, which support that methylation pathway? And I'll just say like the liquid life is almost I always feel so much better on. So that really makes a lot of sense to me. But what yeah, about so the other you, nutrients? Uh, so you have the ability. Uh, sorry. No, I got this backwards. Uh, your GSTT1 gene, which is the key glutathione gene, uh, is you're missing one copy. Renee has both copies. So glutathione as a supplement, and I'll talk about zinc and all that stuff. Sorry, I missed your question. But just because you That's mentioned okay. the uh, yeah, Renee would do a much better job of using glutathione as a supplement. Uh, because she has the full genetics to instruct it. Your case would be, hey, I just took some glutathione, but I don't feel the best because it's also binding onto minerals and nutrients and things I actually need because I'm missing half of the genetic instruction telling it what to do. 
So you would have I feel to feel better with NAC. Does that? Yes, exactly. Out? Yes, okay. precursor. So you would feel much better on a precursor as opposed to glutathione itself. Renee can jump straight into the glutathione. Even then, you should build it up. It's kind of like going to the gym. Like you don't bench press 400 pounds on day one. You kind of build it up, right? Um, so, but even longitudinally, you should stick with precursors, right? Like yeah, NAC. It definitely feels better. I thought yeah. that glutathione as a supplement, like in a capsule form, does not get through digestion very well for anyone. Is that oh, it doesn't. It's very hard to get it into the cell. Uh, again, Renee would do that more efficiently than most people do. Uh, she's kind of blessed there. Most people don't have what she has genetically. Yeah. Glutathione <laughs> oh. queen. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. But for most people, it's challenging. You know, the liposomal makes it better, but it's still challenging, you know. Um, and that's why precursors in general are better. But for some people like Renee, it works. So things like zinc, uh, all, all the micronutrients have genes that metabolize them. So it's very easy to look at your genes and say, okay, I just bought some zinc. The bottle says I need five milligrams a day. Maybe you need 10 or maybe you need 15 because that gene just doesn't work so well. And zinc is such an important micronutrient for so much biology. Like you're, we're talking about cancer prevention, you know, major, major function. So if you're not doing it right, or you may be overdoing it. I, I just saw recently Dave Astray posted something about his hair turning gray because he took too much zinc during COVID, right? So you may be overdoing it. Yeah. So um, just being precise about what your body actually needs. The one that's the most complex is vitamin D. Uh, and, and there's a reason for that is that vitamin D, our ancestors spent all their time outdoors and typically were overdosing. And depending where your ancestry is from, there's a different amount of sunlight. And so we have a much more complex pathway. There's step one, a gene that takes the D2 and converts it into the active D3 that you actually need and gets it into the blood from the sun typically or food or wherever. Then there's a gene that actually transports it to the cell, step two. Then there's a gene that binds it, the VDR, or binding gene as it's called, that gets it into the cell. There's no other micronutrient that is this complex. It's just gene, get it into the system, use it. That's it, right? So why is it so complex? Because you may have been in the sun for 12 hours farming and you got way too much and you needed the ability to convert it, but not to transport it. So you that got trickled in over time, right? And maybe it was like year round. So then you also lost the ability to bind it, you know? So depending on sort of jurisdictional ancestry where you came from, you'll see variances in how people metabolize vitamin D. Then you become a lot more precise on dosage and frequency. There's some people that, hey, I want to take 10,000 IU of vitamin D because I live in New York and it's winter time and my mood is off. Well, if you don't transport it and bind it, you're only getting two out of that 10,000 that you just ingested. So you actually need to take like three doses of two or 3,000 each morning, lunch, and maybe like 2 p.m., right? Yeah. Whereas Renee's people, VDR gene must be excellent. Is that true? Can you see that? I can look it up. I didn't yet, but I can. Yeah. Uh, let's take a look. So, and I guess while you're looking at that, I think that's an important consideration because a lot of doctors are prescribing 10,000 IU. And what if you can't absorb all of that all at once? Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like more jam of the pathway. So I, I do think that everybody is underdosed for vitamin D for sure. But it's like, what is the solution? Is it more vitamin D? Is it more frequency? Or is it a combination of both? And mm. maybe seasonally, you don't need the same amount every day. Like, where do you live? If you're in Florida, you don't need the same dose you need in New York, right? So yeah, so uh, Renee uh, is doing better than you, it looks like. Uh, yeah, and the binding is efficient. Her transport is a problem. So this is a perfect example of where you, Renee, need to split the dose. 
You don't mm-hmm. transport efficiently. So a 10,000 in the morning isn't going to work for you. It's like five and five. Okay. Or right? small bouts on her rooftop in Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I get yeah. lots of sunshine here. Lots of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fascinating. And then anything to note about zinc or magnesium so we can fully un- understand methylation? Yeah. So zinc, um, the, the gene um, that metabolizes, it's a single step. So we're, we can be very clear on dosage. Everybody needs to take it, but how much? And we've kind of broken it up into three buckets, 5, 10, or 15 milligrams a day. And the version of the gene, there's three potential outcomes for this SNP or variant will determine how much you need to take, right? Magnesium, we don't look at uh, because we find that everybody is underdosed. Everybody needs more. uh, And we don't look at specifics of dose or frequency. Typically, that's one thing that um, kind of people are getting right, let's say. Right. If you if you take what the manufacturers are suggesting to take, it's typically okay. We find at least from our perspective, uh, and you should be doing that twice a day. We believe, you know. Mm, great. Yeah. Again, it's also personal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I know we have to let you run. I want to respect your time. So to close things out, final question for you: um, If you can leave our audience with a piece of advice, something they could start doing today to optimize their health. Uh, I would say, okay, we studied 7,000 people. They all had problems. And it all came down to cellular health, just a different path to get there. And the majority of what we saw that people didn't understand was the impact of the environment on their health, which means what are you breathing? What is your skin absorbing? What's in your garden? What's in your laundry? Right. This is the one big bucket that the majority of people just aren't even thinking about. So if you understand the impact, especially for women, when it comes to hormonal health and what that leads to, all the diseases that could potentially lead to, pay some attention there. It's free. It's not, we're not telling you to do anything other than look at all of your habits when it comes to what's in your garden, what's in your laundry, where do you do your dry cleaning? What kind of mattress are you sleeping on? Are you on a memory foam mattress rolling around, popping little air bubbles and off gassing and breathing that for eight hours every night? You know, are you, what are you cleaning your desk with? Everything that you're inhaling. 66% of today's Alzheimer's is inhalation-based. It's what we're breathing that's leading to cognitive decline. That's why the numbers are so high now. It's it's an hour of LA pollution, which is equivalent to a pack of cigarettes. That's what's causing dementia in in the United States today. So think about that and start practicing better environmental health habits. You'll feel the sense of relief because we are all overburdened, for sure. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a toxic soup that we're living in. So great advice. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for diving into our results. That was so interesting. I like, I want to do even deeper dive on my own just to keep nitpicking at everything. It's really, really fascinating. So we will share how to find you in the show notes for today's episode. We have, you know, the dnacompany.com also discount code biohackerbabes for 10% off. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And uh, on Instagram and LinkedIn, we'll put that in the show notes. Anywhere else people should be following you? Um, if they want to learn, we have a podcast for our own customers where they go to learn and we don't promote it anywhere. Uh, but given your audience, they would probably value it. It's called Unpilled, the Unpilled podcast. Love to have you guys on, by the way. We got to do that too. Uh, and it's, really, awesome. it's a resource for our customers to just take their DNA and get more value out of it. So it's an internal thing, but anyone's welcome to come listen. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Any last words about uh, getting genetic reports, DNA company? We're going to make sure they have all the resources. 
Yeah, it's it's yeah. So it's the dnacompany.com. and I believe there's the biohacker babes, like you said. So forward slash biohacker babes. Make sure you don't pay retail. Get the discount for being here today. Um, and yeah, it, when it comes to learning, I would say Instagram is another big one for us because everything we're learning on a day to day basis. For example, that article that just came out on CNN about cutting your fallopian tubes out. We're talking about that stuff daily. So that's another big resource for people to, uh, not so much the corporate, but my personal one. That's where we're allowed to say things that our company isn't allowed to say. Ah, excellent. Got it. Well, <laughs> all right. Love the, the unfiltered. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today and, and being our, uh, giving us our genetic horoscopes. It was super fun and a lot really resonated. So, so excited to bring this to our audience. Thank you Amazing. so much. Thank you guys. Yeah. And thanks to everyone that tuned in today. We will see you next time. Hey, biohackers, thank you so much for staying until the end. And because you did, we have a very exciting announcement. For the next 90 days, we are giving free access to our seven-day Biohacker Babes Challenge. Each day includes a quick nutrition video, workout of the day, and actionables to keep you on track as we move further away from the new year. This is a great time to reinvest in your resolutions and bring a friend along for the ride. The offer will only be available for these 90 days or until the end of April. To access this challenge for free and to invite a friend, scroll down to the show notes and click the link. We will make sure you can't miss it. Happy biohacking. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with your physician or healthcare professional.